0: Yes, uh, my name is David Barry, and I played Frankie Abbott in Please Sir and The Street Gang. Um, How long have you got? Um, How did I get cast? Well, about five years prior to Please Sir, I was in um, a play for Associated Rediffusion Television. And uh, one of my friends was in it, Richard O'Sullivan, with whom I went to school, uh, Corona Academy, a stage school, And it was set in an approved school, and it was called Nice Break for the Boys. Uh, It was cast by um, the casting director for Associated Rediffusion, Martin Case. Now, five years down the line, uh, Associated Rediffusion became London Weekend Television, and Martin Case transferred to LWT. He phoned my agent up and said, "Uh, we think David would be right for this uh, character we're casting in a a comedy called Rough House. And so I went along and auditioned and I read for the part of Frankie Abbott, along with Malcolm McPhee, who read for Peter Craven, and uh, Peter Denier, with whom I'd already worked in the West End, uh, for the part of Dennis Dunstable. And there were about 30 of us auditioning for those three parts and uh, we were waiting in a sort of anteroom and then Mark Stewart, the producer and director, his PA would come in and tap someone on the shoulder and say, thank you, you can go. So we were waiting in trepidation for the tap on the shoulder, which meant we hadn't got the part. And then three of us were left in the room and Mark Stewart came in and said, well, I suppose you three will have to do, we'll be in touch with your agents. And Rough House Started about um, two weeks later, rehearsals. And Frank Muir was head of um, light entertainment at LWT. He said, you can't call it Waff House. Why don't you call it Please, Sir? So it was called Please, Sir. The title was changed and um, it took off. It went into the ratings immediately. <laughs> the very first episode, it was um, a read through, um, first of all, and then always outside filming was done on the second day of rehearsal. And so what I remember was, um, we were on the bus heading to school and uh, Bob Todd, I remember, was the bus conductor. (laughs) And we all recognized him from a Knorr Soup commercial Um, because he'd become an actor almost by default. He bluffed his way. Um, Galton and Simpson were writing something, Citizen James, I think it was called. And uh, Bob Todd said, well, I'm an actor. And so they gave him a part. He wasn't an actor at all. I think he was a farmer actually, originally. And uh, that's how he became an actor. And I remember him as this, uh, put upon a long suffering bus conductor on this first day of filming. Also, I can't remember how the original episode finished, but they rewrote it so that it was established that um, John Alderton uh, had a worm-eaten desk. And so when we were all misbehaving, uh, it was established as well that he had done some karate. And at the end of the episode, he came in and hit the desk and it broke in half and it had a big finish at the end. Um, That's what I remember of the first episode anyway. Oh, Barbara Mitchell came in to the first series. I can't remember which episode now. I'd have to look it up. I'd I'd have to look it up in my book, which I've written. Please, sir, the official history. Um, But I think it was probably about the sixth or seventh episode. Um, No, it was the second series she came into because the first series was in black and white. And it was forty-five minutes long. Second series started in nineteen sixty-nine, and I can remember her appearance. She played rather um, a bigoted woman. She was quite prejudiced um, against some um, Asians. Um, doing, um, doing. Oh, gosh, I can't. My my mind's going. I've written it all down in the book, but uh, yeah. Um, think it was no it was the first series actually it was um an episode called panalau passes by about an asian boy and they had a parent teacher meeting after school and the only ones who attended were the uh, asian parents and barbara mitchell was up in arms or rather mrs abbott was uh, showing her prejudice um but i remember we had a scene in um in a coffee bar with John Alderton ordering um, a beef burger and putting tomato ketchup on it. And she was saying things like, oh, when I had my operation, I hemorrhaged that man putting him off his beef burger. Uh, She was very, very funny and a lovely person. It was very hard working with her to keep a straight face, really. The, the opening titles were in a, outside in a school. I think it was somewhere in North London. I can't remember where. It may have been Neasden or Wilsden or somewhere like that. And a school that was no longer in use, I don't think. And that's where we did the outside filming for the playground. Um, usually, though, it was all studio set. Uh, which we did in front of a, an audience. We did a live show in front of an audience with no retakes. It was usually done like a play. Uh, we started the recording at half eight, and we were usually in the LWT bar by ten past nine. Um, the, the filming for the feature film, the police feature film, was done at Pinewood Studios, and the exterior in the summer camp was in a place called Black Park, where they do a lot of location filming uh near pinewood studios um it's a perfect setting it's got woodland and open spaces and they built our um our cabins uh, our um, location cabins there uh yeah with some um, our first location was um primrose hill uh, It was a zebra crossing, you know, uh, we were misbehaving on the zebra crossing and all that sort of thing. That's where that. And uh, I don't know if if ever you see any black and white movies, old, old British black and white movies, you may see in certain shots Eden's removals van because Eden's usually had the contract to move camera equipment and uh, props to the location and of course they were filmed so quickly they couldn't they didn't have time to move the edens van edens didn't complain because it was a free advert well when we were doing the uh, please sir first scene the edens van was in the back of the shot and uh, the assistant director was going berserk he said get rid of the naffing edens van it's in the back of every naffing shot and a year later my wife and i went to um a Lowry exhibition at the Royal Academy. And Ellis Lowry uh, had a very dominant mother. After she died, he came to London and painted some London scenes where he had his first exhibition. And we were wandering through the Royal Academy. It was quite crowded. I suddenly burst out laughing and everybody looked at me because I was looking at this Lowry painting, which was called On Location. He painted this film crew on location, and there in the Lowry painting was an Eden's band. <laughs> By the time we did the third series of Please Sir, we were all getting a bit long in the tooth, you know. So they were writing episodes of, um, you know, uh, working that we were going to get proper jobs. So London Weekend Television decided to very quickly bring out a film. And and, uh, because we were getting really too old to play 15-year-olds. So we managed it with a film, I think. Um, But that's how it came about. Uh, They'd already planned to do the film, uh, to shoot it in the summer, bring it out uh, for the winter. Uh, It opened at the Metropole. Um, We had the preview at the Metropole Cinema in Victoria in the winter. Uh, November I think and then it opened for the school holidays the Christmas school holidays we saw kids queuing around the block to go and see it um, but at that time in the autumn we'd started the Fen Street Gang which was the spin-off of the Police Sir series uh, what happened after we left school uh, and that carried on into 1971 I think you know, the, the, because we did something like 26 episodes on the trot. I don't remember ever wearing any makeup. Um, I I think the only time we had makeup was when we were bruised or, or, you know, I think we were just au naturel. Um, Costume-wise, I started off with a combat jacket, like a military combat jacket, and then later on, they gave me a leather jacket with skull and crossbones and all that sort of thing on it and a Hell's Angel thing. Um, and and that's, that became more associated with the character rather than the combat jacket. Um, on the very, very first episode of Please, Sir, um, they asked us to put on our costumes for the camera rehearsal, which was unusual because you don't usually do that. I think they just wanted to see how we looked. So I got down onto the studio floor and there was John Alderton in this rather drab, uh, tweedy jacket. And I went up to him. I said, John, that's perfect for what a a young teacher, a nap sort of jacket a young teacher would wear. He gave me a very funny look as though I was winding him up. I later discovered it was his own wardrobe. It was his own costume. (laughs) Um, Yes, I do, actually. Uh, One of my favourite episodes was when I went in the army. And it was um, the guy who, um, gosh, I'm terrible for names. Um, He went in to get some in. He played the lead character and get some in. And uh, he played the corporal. And he he was great. Um, And it, it, it was a good episode. I loved the thing of going in the army and doing... Drilling and you know marching not very well and all that sort of thing. Um, I wrote an episode called "When Did You Last See Your Father?" Because I'd um, i thought I want I had this um, dotty mother, Mrs. Abbott, who, who was way over the top. It was almost like a an Oedipus situation. She, um, I thought, what happened to Abbott's father? So I wrote this as a synopsis and I gave it to John Esmond and Bob Larby, the writers, and Mark Stewart, the producer, and they liked it. And I got commissioned to write it. So I wrote an episode, uh, which was broadcast. So that's how I started writing at the time. Am I still in contact? Well, uh, i been in contact quite o- often with um, Carol Hawkins, who took over as Sharon for the feature film and... Uh, also the Fen Street Gang. Uh, she lives in Spain, and we often go to visit her in Spain uh, once a year. The only time we didn't go was in 2020 when there were no flights. Um, and uh, I'm often in touch with Peter Cleal, who played Duffy. He lives in Brighton, not far from where I live, Tunbridge Wells. Uh, apart from that, uh, did meet John Alderton. He invited Peter... Uh, Penny Spencer, the original Sharon, and myself over to lunch with him and Pauline Collins about um, four years ago, and uh, so we had saw John and had a chat about old times. And uh, but it, there's no one else around really. Um, the only other person I have um, spoken to on the phone because I used to do my own radio show, uh, and uh, was Brinsley Ford, who played. Um, uh, oh gosh, names! To, <laughs> I'll have to look it up in the book. Um, he, yeah, El oh, Wesley. He played Wesley in the film, uh, and uh, he he went on to have a marvelous career as um, lead singer of Aswad. Um, so um, yeah, and I thought, oh, it'll be uncool to talk about Pleaser with him on, but no, he loved it. He, he said, no, I love acting. <laughs> Uh, this came about because I've been a writer for quite a few years now, uh, writing mainly crime fiction. And uh, when the lockdown happened in um, 2020, February 2020, I phoned up my publisher and said, How would it be if I wrote, please, sir, the official history? Uh, it has to be the official history because I'm the only one left around to tell it at the moment, you know. Uh, so, uh, that's how it came about. They said, yes, we published that. I wrote it in about four months and they brought it out in November of that same year. Sales have been better than any of my crime books, because I guess with crime books, you're competing with the likes of Ian Rankin and Val McDermid, you know, all best-selling novelists. Uh, whereas I'm not competing with anyone with police. Sir. It's a niche market. And so it's done very well, really. My latest book, which is Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee, The Final Curtain. A lot has been written about them, but I toured with them at the age of 14 to Paris, Venice, Belgrade, Zagreb, Vienna and Warsaw. And that book only came out about two and a half weeks ago. So I'm very much uh, into the marketing of it now. And... uh, it, it's had some good reviews, you know, the, the British theatre guide um, saw that, you know, the thing about it was Melvin Bragg did a documentary about Laurence Olivier. He spoke to Laurence Olivier. And this was the one of the most prestigious tours of all time. It was the first Shakespearean company to cross the Iron Curtain at the height of the Cold War. And it was it was. It was wonderful with Vivian Lee and uh, wherever they went they showered us with bouquets of flowers at the curtain calls and everything and uh, whether or not Olivier said to Melvin Bragg it's too painful for me you know the loss of Vivian Lee because the last time they worked together don't mention it and they he never mentioned it and it's it's it covers about one paragraph in Olivier's autobiography, um, confessions of an actor. Um, So not much was written about it. So, um, you know, I thought, no, it's time that this piece of history uh, was written. So um, I'm hoping it does as well as the police uh, book. Thank you very much, Andrew.